Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Wildcat Radio. Welcome back, Wildcats, to Wildcat Radio. We are your source for Arizona football, basketball, and recruiting news. You can subscribe to the podcast for free through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, etc. Basically, any podcast catcher. Be sure to follow the podcast on social media. At Wildcat Radio AZ is our Twitter handle. Also, check out our Facebook page, Wildcat Radio. Uh, while you're out there surfing the web, be sure to check out the website, wildcatradioaz.com. That is the exclusive home for all of our written content, podcasts, and basically, you know, and Survivor Pool, that's concluded. Uh, and, you know, any, any, other, any other activities, I guess, if you will, that we'll have throughout the basketball season now that it is full-blown basketball season. Uh, Adam, let's just jump right into this. Uh, Adam Green on the call with me today, as always. Uh, Adam, I'm not going to ask how you are because I, <laughs> I, 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 I hope that Thanksgiving was good. Um, but uh, I, I imagine Saturday was not so great, and that was uh, awful. I, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, for three quarters, it was great. But um, is, is there anything to be excited about in that game? I mean, that, it, that it's over and we still have our health. I think, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know about you, I know we didn't record last week, but I thought the Wildcats were going to win this game, even going down there. Yeah. You know, I saw Khalil Tate looking healthy, even though the Washington State game happened, he looked like he was a lot more mobile than he had been, and just saying he was getting better and better. I just had this, like, ASU was a very, they still are, but a very average football team. You know, they've won a lot of close games, they've lost some close games, they don't do really anything particularly well, they're just not terrible at anything, it seems like, and I just felt like at home... With a healthy Khalil Tate, the Wildcats were going to beat them. And really, except for three and a half, three quarters, three and a half quarters, not only were they beating them, but they were destroying them. I guess it was a dominant performance. I mean, it was reminiscent of probably the Oregon victory, where Arizona did everything right. You know, offense was moving the ball at will, the defense was playing well. PJ Johnson got the safety, and the Cats were in control of this game for pretty much the entirety of the game. And then, you know, and just the way it finished, I mean, that 41-40 ASU is just, like, we know how it got there. We all watched it. I was down there. We all watched the game. We know what happened. But it's still hard to believe because so many bad things had to go on. And most of them self-inflicted wounds by Arizona. But so many bad things had to happen just for them to lose by a point. And even then, there was a chance to win the game in the final seconds, and it just didn't happen. So I guess all I really have to say and and, and uh, <laughs> I finally know what it's like to be an Atlanta Falcons fan. Obviously, much, much, much lower stakes in this one. Uh, but but I, I finally, I, I, I get it. I get it. So my heart finally goes out to all the Atlanta Falcons fans. I know how it feels um, uh, to a degree, I guess you should say, right? Uh, Adam, you, you, you brought up the Washington State game, and that's maybe the best starting point for this. Uh, you know, I guess in, in a way, 
there was some foreshadowing in that game, right? I mean, it just got, it just got out of control so quickly, and there was so much self-infliction in terms of you know just basically handing points to Washington mm-hmm. State. Um, that that you know, I, I guess my my biggest takeaway from that game, you know, and not not even looking at the at the box score in that one because it's already hard enough for me to pull up the box score as we prepare to talk about this ASU game uh, for last Saturday, but. I, I think at one point it was twenty eight fourteen, right? And that those were like quick twenty eight points for yeah. Washington State. Mm-hmm. But what was encouraging was the offense was at least moving the ball. You know, like it it felt like in that Washington State game, like yes, it got out of control early, and by halftime, when you're down fifty five. 14 was it? I don't even know if we scored again in the first half, but we obviously gave up 55 points in that first half. The only thing I was thinking was please pull out Coil Tate so he is healthy for ASU. Yeah. You know, like this game is over, obviously. Nobody expected to win this game anyway. Uh, but but as long as he's healthy for ASU, you know, we'll take care of business against ASU and then we'll move on to the bowl game, right? Those extra practices, have a chance to finish seven and six, winning record on the season. For three quarters, it looked like that was the case. For three quarters, you're 100 percent right. I, I remember thinking even those first couple defensive, uh, the, the, those uh, defensive stands that we had, right? It just felt so much like Oregon again, and, and the scoring picked up too, right? Mm-hmm. Ten points in the first quarter, twelve points in the second quarter, eighteen points in the third quarter. Adam, one thing that I will say, and I'm curious on your thoughts of this because, like, I, I understand why why Noel Mazzoni and Kevin Sumlin why they decided to do this. You know, obviously those. So we score a touchdown, and then it's two field goals, right back to back, and then we get in the end zone again. At that point, in hindsight, who knows if this is actually it? But was it too? Was it just too early to go for two, or or, or you just now knowing what you know? Obviously, it's easy to say, but in the, at that point in time, when you're watching the game, when you're at the game, did it feel like why are we going for two? Why, why don't you just take the point? Right, we're kind of piling it on. Yeah, I mean, never nothing about like you know the piling it on, but. I've always been, I don't have the charts, and I, I know someone referenced the chart, says, you know, you go for two in these situations, and I don't know the charts, but I've always thought you don't go for two until you absolutely have to. And mm-hmm. never mind the fact that some of the two-point the plays, I mean, the second one especially, like, I mean, they, they just, I don't know, it's, you'd like to think that with Khalil Tate at quarterback, if he's being, if he's willing to run, you can get a couple yards and get that two points, right? It shouldn't be that hard a thing, but just at the time, I didn't say like it, but... Yeah. I guess if the chart says to go for two, that mean math people do this for a living, and the math says to go for two. I guess you go for two, but at the time when it was happening, it was kind of like, well, the first one, especially, it's like, wait, what are we going for? Like, what's happening here? And the right. second, it's like, well, now you're trying to get. I see the number you're trying to get to, but you know, I people will point to those, and I don't, I don't like it because if you say, oh, that's two points they would have had, they lost by one. Therefore, if they had just two extra points, well, the game would have been different had they gone for you know, the extra points on those and got them. Right. I think ASU's yeah. play calling would have been a little bit different. Arizona's would have been a little bit different. So of all the coaching things, a lot of the questionable decisions I think that coaching staff made, the, the concept of going for two, I'm guessing if the chart says to go to, like, that's not the one I'm going to point to and say that was the biggest issue from this coaching staff or this game. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, and I definitely don't think it's the biggest, but it was the first one that was kind of like, oh, man, you know, like, I don't feel great here? about this. Yeah. I, I I don't know what that chart is. I'm with you, but I... I I guess I never want to see this chart. Like I, I don't, I don't trust this chart. I mean, for for all the games that we've watched over the years, I mean, and like especially on Sundays when you're watching an NFL game, you know, the the the, the pros of the pros, they even they 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 grain they 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 ingrain it in your head. Like no, not until 
you know, there's like sub eight minutes left or something like that, you know, like because there's just too much unpredictability. There's just so much variability with the scoring from that point forward. If you do it in the early second quarter. Now, obviously, I'm with you. I, I don't think this is not that's not the reason we lost. I mean, to your point of the play calling and everything, you know, if we if we kick those two PATs, well, then ASU doesn't have to go for two at the end of the game to make it a 43-40 game, mm-hmm. or they don't have to go for two and convert, you know, like they were just taking the points. So, I mean, th- there's just no telling, right? Uh, but but it, 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 it was really that first decision, though, that was like, oh, boy, I, I really hope that this doesn't come back to bite us. Another one was, um, the, uh, another one was when we had them pinned deep, and I know that... Um, you know, I, I know that this drive ended up resulting in, in, in a punt, and I think we actually ended up scoring after that. But there, it was that crazy fumble uh, where, where Troy Young, or, or it may have been Chacha Yulo, who was filling in for Scotty Young, who missed the first half, stripped the ball on a little sweep, whatever, to the outside. Troy Young tries to pick it up, can't. You know, and, and I understand why. You know, the entire time thinking, just fall on it. But you know, when you, from his vantage point, when he they had the up, perfect camera angle. Oh, he saw green and then a bunch of Navy. He, he was like, what, 10 yards away from scoring a touchdown right yeah. there? So he was totally thinking that. And then he had a chance to get the ball back. It's, so that was one, right? That's, that's like the next thing where it was like, ah, man, like if we got that. And then uh, the, the Jalen Harris strip from behind. Mm-hmm. When they didn't think it was, the ball. it was a strip. They thought it was an incomplete pass. And Schooler, I think, let it bounce around. And Schooler, yeah. how do you not pick that up? Like, yeah. Schooler, of all people. Like I, don't, like, I don't even care if it, you know, like, everywhere. You watch football every week. And any time a ball's on the ground, you see the defender pick it up. But it's like, oh. And I think, actually, that one, they ended up, in, and don't quote me on this, and we can go back and check. But uh, I'm pretty sure they went on to, to score at least a field goal or something there. Right, so, right. I mean, You know, there's just those are just three of the many, you know, we can get into like the the Khalil Tate pick that was like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, The J.J. Taylor fumble. It's hard to really pin any blame on J.J. Taylor in this one. But that is a fumble that you cannot that cannot happen. Right. I understand a lot of that has to do with the play calling. Um, Adam, you know, I can go on for days on this. I'm going to loop you back in. Uh, where do you assign the most blame here? Well, and that's the thing, like you mentioned all those things that went wrong and, you know, the, the interception, the fumble, the two point conversions, the not picking up the fumbles. And yet, even with all of that, Arizona, it looked like none of it would matter. Yeah. You know, at least up until the, I guess the JJ Taylor fumble, like that's the thing. Arizona was just so thoroughly dominant in this game for so long and, you know, you look at the box score, and if you tell me that, you know, Benjamin would have 80 yards on 21 carries, that Keel Harry would have 55 yards on four catches, whereas J.J. Yeah. had 144 yards, and Tate would throw for three touchdowns. Like, everything other than the final score and the turnovers were in Arizona's favor in this game. And in terms of you ask where to put the blame, like, I, you know, I understood the conservative play calling to an extent because, you know, even though it was still somewhat early in the fourth quarter, ASU had done nothing. And if you're Arizona's coaching staff, the last thing you want to do is have a turnover or have something really terrible happen. So I understand that. And there were so many times it seemed like Arizona was just a first down away or one more score away from putting the game away. But I will say there was one moment that stuck out to me even watching the game live. And I looked back just to make sure I had the timing right. And it was uh, with about 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Arizona's up 40-24. to 24. And it's when they started their whole, this was after an ASU field goal, and they started their whole conservative play calling thing. You know, Taylor run, Taylor run, Taylor run, first down. Taylor run, Taylor run, Taylor run. And it was fourth and one at the Arizona 45. And I remember thinking, just go for it here. 
because yeah. this is your chance to step on the toes. I know it's on your side of the field. Maybe if it was on the ASU 45, they do go for it. But Klump ends up punting the ball in for a touchback, and then eight plays later, ASU scores a touchdown to get within eight. So it's just this mentality, and I don't, I don't want to say that coaches got passive because I understand the conservative play calling, right? I, I, I do, because we saw what happened. They put the ball in the air and Tate threw an interception that gifted them three points. You know, like mistakes can happen. You try to minimize that. And at the time, it didn't seem like I didn't think ASU was going to put together two straight touchdown drives, you know, no. actual 75, 80-yard touchdown drives. So I understand that. But just it seemed like, and I don't know, like I want to say they took the foot off the gas and that affected things, but I don't know if it did. You know, if you don't get the interception, they don't have that short field for the field goal. They went four plays one yard after that interception. You know, if you don't fumble it, they don't get the t- ball the 22-yard line to take the lead on that touchdown run. So there are so many things you can point to, and that's what makes this so frustrating. You know, Ronnie, I, I, there are times, like, remember last year's game against ASU, and Khalil Tate got hurt at halftime, and there was the block in the back that wasn't a block in the back on Shun Brown, and we're thinking, this was taken from Arizona. This was a game that Arizona was better than ASU, and if not for these bad breaks, Arizona beats ASU. Yep. And this game, you don't have that feeling. You have Arizona was better than ASU, but if not for all the stupid stuff U of A did they would have beaten ASU. Like, there's no one to blame but Arizona, and it's a coaching thing. It's a Khalil Tate thing. It might be a J.J. Taylor thing. You know, it's a Colin Schooler thing, which never happens. You know, pick up the fumble. Like, there's so many things that you can point to and say, if that one thing did not happen, Arizona wins this game. Because even with all those mistakes we talk about, they had a chance to win the field with a field goal at the end. And I'm not going to blame Pollock for that. I'd like to be no. It would have been a cool moment for him to split the uprights on that one, but it's a 45-yard field goal, not a chip. So the guy was... Made four straight field goals before that, four for four in the game, and it's just a shame he missed that one. But that's the funny thing about football, and if that field goal splits the uprights, all these things were saying, like, oh, Arizona survived, you know, great. You know, all those bad things happened, they bounced back and won the game at the end. Tate put them in position to get the game-winning field goal, and they did shoot. If Barry Hill hangs on to that, fo- that touchdown, that would have been before the mm-hmm. field goal attempt. Like, or if Tate doesn't throw the ball 71 yards to Sean Brown, he throws it only 70 yards and Brown can catch yeah. it. Like, these Ellison are all thi- too. Yeah, like yeah, these are all things where the way it was going, Arizona should not have been in position to need a great play to win the game. Mm-hmm. But even with all those things, they were that close, you know, just seemed like inches away from having a great play that would have won the game. And it wouldn't have made them a better team. It would have made for a better season and a better finish. But I just... I have a hard time. I know your question. I've been rambling on about this, but I know your question was just, where do you assign the blame? And I can't figure out who to point to because no one player, no one decision cost Arizona the game, but collectively it, it all together did. I think if, if, if I have to give an answer of who it is, um, it, it, it has to be on Mazzoni. And I know that, that that feels like an easy scapegoat on the thing, and that also feels like a theme that we've heard a lot this year. Um, but I, I think the way that they let up off the gas late, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard them say uh, when 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 uh, JJ when JJ Taylor fumbled that uh, fumbled that handoff. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that was like their their uh, their seventh. Or I guess that's not true. I'm looking at it right now. There was a kickoff. There, there was something along the lines, you know, like before he fumbled, um, they, 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 they had ran the ball like seven consecutive times. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? Are, I mean, I, I know what you're doing, right? But that's not how we got in this position. That's not how we got to where we are with a 40 to 21 lead. You know, like we were, you know, a few minutes removed from having complete control of this game. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I guess even with again, the even, fumble, I mean, like, I don't yeah. know. Like it's it's just so tough because I mean I guess before the fumble there was the interception, 
you know, they put I the ball in the air and Tate made a bad throw. He made a bad read and a bad throw. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, there. I think you said it really well that there's just so much blame to go around that uh, that you know there, there there's not one person that deserves all of it. I mean, I certainly think that the play calling down the stretch uh, deserves the lion's share of it. But that play calling and, and and to even point it out again, you know, like we moved right up the field, right? We had 15 plays, 54 yards uh, to get in position for a 45 yard field goal. You know, like you, that, that, really that type drive. of aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was no gimme. And and I'm going to say this too, and this is the last I want to talk about the, the 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 field goal, the missed field goal at the end. Uh, JJ or JJ JJ, but Josh Pollock uh, should should not be getting any heckling anything at all on that i he was four of four up to that point and how many times have we sat on this podcast and banged on on the kicking game and for him to come out this game honestly early on and maybe even for i don't know maybe into the second half you know him going four for four really kept us in things that safety was big it came at a pretty pivotal moment it felt you know just that really uh you know the sun devils they, they just couldn't get anything going you know asu just couldn't get anything going as you said, Benjamin, you know, whatever the safety happened, got him. That feels good. But Josh Pollock was four of four. And, and the worst part of that kick that he missed at the end is no one's going to remember that he was four for four up to that point. All they're going to remember is he missed a 45 yarder after Khalil Tate and the offense got up the field to be in position for that game winning kick. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is, unlike in some games where Arizona kickers have missed a game winning field goal, I don't think too many people are blaming Pollock in this one. And it's much because they're so happy to blame Tate or, you know, Noel Mazzoni or someone or Marcel Yates. Like, and that's the thing. I, if it, was, if it was like a 25-yard field goal or like an extra point, for instance, yeah. then I understand what would be the case there. But it was a 45-yard field goal. And no, sure I don't fire. think anyone expected him to make. I mean, I part of me is like, he's going to make this. You know, this is that moment. This is that territorial cup mm-hmm. moment where the fifth-year senior comes out there and finds a way to salvage this. Like, in my mind, I made this because I wanted it to happen. You know, try to will <laughs> right. it into existence, yeah. and I failed to do so. But now, I don't think people are blaming him for that. But even like the, even in that last drive, there are so many chances. And this is like... You know, the play before J.J. Taylor ran for four yards to make it a shorter field goal, which I had no problem with that running play either. But, yeah. right, the play before that, Tate threw a beautiful ball to Barry Hill who just, just couldn't hang on in the end zone, you know, with about a minute left on that point. Like, these, these are all things that would have happened or that could have saved this game. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so disheartening. And, it's again, like, it doesn't make for a great season. It's still a disappointing season, even if Arizona beats ASU. But... For all the bad things that Tate did, for all the bad things that even the fumble, if you want to put that on Taylor or Tate, I don't know. For all the bad coaching decisions, you know, if Mazzoni got too complacent or too conservative, I don't know if he did or not. I mean, even like the interception, it looked like Tate could have run. How many of those were run pass options or, you know, Mm -hmm. and Tate didn't read it right where he was just unwilling to run the ball and willing to do what he needed to do to win the game and or he saw something different. Like it's that's what it's hard to put on coaching for me entirely. You know, sure. they could tell you, Tate, you need to run, pull that one and run. But if he goes out there and throws the ball or hands it off to Taylor, then who's to say, like, was that a bad call? <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I don't know, but it seemed like, I don't know, there's been all these games where people get their territorial cup moment where they can make that huge play. And there wasn't any single play that gave Arizona the lead. It was just a dominant performance for three quarters, three plus quarters. But down the stretch when they needed one moment, needed one place to step up, whether it was Tate scrambling for a long run like maybe he could have, you know, on the interception, or just something that happens. Barry Hill coming. I mean, how great would it have been if Stanley Barry Hill makes that catch? Yeah. Know, not Poindexter, not Sean Brown, not Ellison, but Barry Hill makes that catch. And it was there. He almost mm-hmm. had it. Or that one, and I think it was Michael Lev, 
did the math, the 71 yards on the air to Sean Brown that just fell incomplete. Like he missed him by like a step, a half a step after throwing the ball 71 freaking yards down the field. Tate did mm-hmm. like all these things. There's so many people were close to making that legendary play. The one that we'd all remember and say, man, it's Arizona should have won that game by 20 points, but we'll take it. You know, what an amazing finish. And we just didn't get that. And, you, know, you want to blame Mazzoni? Blame Mazzoni. I'm sure he deserves. I mean, he deserves some of the blame. Someone absolutely, I mean, everyone but Pollock. I would say you could probably and Poindexter. I think he had a great game. But oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. The, of the key figures or the people who are getting or you could point to Pollock is the last guy I would point to because yeah, four for four. No one's going to remember that. But you know, that guy did everything he could to keep them in that game. He made a forty yarder earlier in the game too. So it's just I don't want to say bad luck because Arizona put themselves in that position. But just, it'd be nice to have seen them come through even with all the bad things that they did to themselves. And, you know, it's not giving ASU a lot of credit to say Arizona beat themselves. But in this game, ASU did a good job of not hurting themselves. They didn't play well. They didn't play better than Arizona. They just did a much better job of not messing up than Arizona did. And that's why they won by a point. They took care of the ball. I mean, really. Well, almost. I mean, fumbles. Three balls put on the ground. ASU recovered all three of them. I, I, I guess that's true. That, that That is a fair point. So in terms of actual turnovers, actual takeaways, right, uh, a, ASU wins that. And technically, they, they have a big goose egg if you go look at the team stats. Yeah, uh, they didn't they, turn the ball over. They they came close. There were fumbles. There were just no, uh, yeah, there was just no recovery for Arizona. And if Arizona recovers any one of those three fumbles, even their own, the Wildcats probably win the game. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> even the J.J. Taylor, when it wasn't like this one that just stopped back, it went to his feet and he kicked it forwards. Yeah, <laughs> like it was just like yeah. the just unfortunate balance. And again, don't fumble the ball, make a clean handoff. Mm-hmm. But everything that happened or the one that could have been picked up in the scoop and score one, even if he just kicks around a little bit, still ends up falling out. That's fine. Like how that ended up back with ASU. That's just I mean, that's bad luck. But yes, fall on the football. Don't fumble the football. Yeah, don't things. fumble. You it's, know, don't assume the ball is an incomplete pass. Go pick up the ball and like the ref blow it dead. Mm-hmm. But that's what I say. Like, it's hard for me to be super angry. At any one person, because every one of these things had to happen for Arizona not to win this game, either by two points on the game-winning field goal or by thirty points if one of those fumbles is recovered. You know, the other thing too. Either way, it's but yeah. yeah. And another one of those too was that first uh, two-point conversion ASU attempted and converted. Right, uh, that, if, if they don't get that one, then that completely changes the the whole complex of you know what those next like six minutes or whatever is those next five minutes. If they don't get that, you know they they don't necessarily they don't they probably don't settle for a field goal. Maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, it definitely seemed like they were pretty dialed in, though, and they were comfortable with what they were doing, yeah. which just blows my mind because it was complete and utter domination. I mean, even going down this checklist here, first downs, U of A gets that 26 to 20. Total yards, Arizona gets that 520 to 401. So then thus passing 282 to 265 Arizona, rushing 238 to 136 ASU, right? Uh, Arizona gets the 238 to 136. Mm-hmm. Penalties. Penalties, less penalties and less penalty yardage, uh-huh. seven, to, seven to 62 to nine, uh, nine of 74 time of possession, 32 <laughs> minutes, 17 seconds, two turnovers. <laughs> that was, uh, oh man, it's just so brutal. And it's it's just, a frustrating thing because Arizona at times looked really, I mean, even at times this season, you know, we saw them against Oregon, how they looked at Oregon's not a bad, I mean, they're not great. But just there were times this year where Arizona looked like the program, looked like the team. We all thought they'd be preseason. Yep. But they just weren't consistent. And 
Tate deserves a lot of the blame, I'm sure, because he wasn't the same player. And whether the coaches were imploring him to run and he wasn't, or just for whatever reason, he was not quite the transcendent game changer that he was for Arizona last season. But for all this, I mean, Arizona finished five and seven, four and five in conference now. Closely disappointing. But after winning, what, seven games last season? Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's a drop off from last year by a couple of games and obviously some really close losses. Used to UCLA by a point, used to ASU by a point. You know, BYU so by five, USC yeah. by four. Like the four losses between, by five yeah. or less. So oh. like the difference between being five and seven right now and seven and five or eight and four isn't that big, but it's those little mistakes. It's those things that Arizona did against Washington State that didn't cost them the game, but letting a kickoff bounce behind you for a touchdown, fumbling into the end zone. They did, Arizona did that a couple of times this year against Washington State, against UCLA. Like just yeah. the Wildcats weren't good enough to overcome their mistakes too often this season. And the mistakes were a lot of different players. And even the coaching staff, especially early on in the season, wasn't doing a good job, it seemed like. So, you know, I'm not... I'm not entirely down on everybody. I'm not down on Tate so much. I'm not down on Mazzoni or Yates or someone or anything like that. It's just this team, it seemed like, I don't know if the talent just wasn't as good as we all thought it was, but it just couldn't, I don't know, they just couldn't find a way to sustain their downs. I mean, again, for 45 minutes Saturday, even really 50 minutes if you want to say, Arizona was kicking the crap out of ASU. Yeah. You know, embarrassing them, just ready to run away. And the catcher maybe one first down and a couple drives from putting it away. One more score from putting it away. And through their own play calling, their turnovers, their own mistakes, they just couldn't do it. And they got burned because of it. So I'm I'm ready to kind of pivot away from this. I mean, that, that that's that's more than um that that that's more than I want to discuss on that because honestly I, I was just so sickened by the whole thing after that. Uh, you know, it it just uh, I I told you before we started recording, man. I woke up Sunday morning still kind of just in shock. Like I can't believe that we choked that away. Twenty unanswered points uh, to lose by a point, right? So many things as we've touched on had to go wrong. Uh, Adam, look, let's go ahead and pivot just slightly. I mean, something better, right? Yeah, well, or maybe, right? So let's um, so let, let let's focus on this. And and I I personally think that there's just a little bit too much. Uh, there, there, there's 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 just too much speculation, and then there's really not much not much of a fire, right? It feels like people are trying to make some smoke, and I don't know how much of a fire there actually is. In other words, uh, so after the game. Uh, Quill Tate was asked, uh, you know, I guess I'm paraphrasing, right? Like, uh, what, what, what's your plan for next year? And he just said, next, next question. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Adam, let, let's, let's just start right here. Right. So he is a junior. Uh, he has said in the past that he will be able to accumulate enough credits to graduate by the, by, by May of 2019. Right. So that means, you know, he, he would be one more semester at Arizona, uh, and then maybe finish up with another course or something in summer. I, I don't know exactly, but basically he would be ready to go as a grad transfer next year. If he wanted to go somewhere, um, the possibility is also out there that he would enter the NFL draft. Um, that just seems, I mean, I, I don't know why he would do that. I think after what we saw this year, he would need one more year. Uh, but even, even still, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily, where you would transfer to I, I, help me out here. I mean, the, the NFL just feels so far fetched right now that it doesn't even feel like a possibility. The grad transfer feels a lot more real, but the idea of him going to Illinois, a four and eight team this year, sure. He'd reconnect with Rod Smith, but, but I, we're all under the impression that, you know, you influenced this hire of Noel Mazzoni because you wanted to work as yourself as a passer. Mm-hmm. Um, but both options just seem not that, not that realistic to me. 
it's tough to say what he's going to be looking for if he decides to leave. And I guess it comes down to one, his relationship with Sumlin and Mazzoni. You know, just t- think that they can get him to the NFL. And in some ways, if he transfers, that's a terrible, terrible look. You know, mm-hmm. because if you're trying to get, I mean, they got Grant Cannell coming in, so a pretty highly thought of uh, quarterback recruit, but you need to be the coaching staff that can get guys to the NFL. And if you come in to a guy who is a preseason Heisman Trophy candidate type of person, he struggles under you and then transfers, that's not exactly a great look, I think, for a coaching staff, even though I think they might be able to survive it in the early going. But, you know, I guess it depends on what Khalil Tate's looking for. And I think everybody thought on himself included wanted to learn how to be more of a pocket passer. And for as much as we didn't like what was going on, it seemed like that's what they were trying to do. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like if he leaves, he leaves. And I thank him for what he did for the program, put them on the map a little bit. Like this season didn't go the way we all wanted it to, but, and he wasn't as good of a player as we all want him to be, but it's not like he was a bad guy or anything like that. He just didn't play the way we wanted him to. So you know, wherever he goes, if he goes, I mean, if he stays, great. But yeah. whatever happens to Khalil Tate, just the, the disappointing thing is, assuming he doesn't come back and improve, and I think we all believe he'd be better next season. But if that doesn't happen, then it's just like a wasted season, a wasted talent, and a bad look, especially if he goes to Illinois or wherever he goes and has success. You know, he may mm-hmm. not, but if that does happen, it's going to be a really unfortunate occurrence for Arizona. It's a bad look. Uh, 100%. I mean, there's no two ways about it because uh, it, it's so well known. I mean, his influence on the overall decision of Sumlin and then presumably, you know, of, of Noel Mazzoni. And, and it was very clear. It, it was very clear with his play on the field. Uh, one of my buddies, friend of the podcast, Blake Keithley, pointed this out today, and he's kind of been banging on it all year. You know, it's kind of a selfish look anyway for him, you know, to, to, to put his future uh, ahead of this team right now, you know, and it kind of goes back to that USC game where, you know, if, if you're not healthy or, you know, he got a little banged up again, you know, he, he obviously that Houston game wasn't right. You know, Southern Utah, he kind of got back on track. It felt Oregon State didn't have to use him that much because J.J. Taylor ran for like a thousand yards in that single game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then came the USC game and he was just so immobilized that it was really harming the team. And, and you know, that that's the first time I had heard him say that. And it really you know proved to be true. I think down the stretch, uh, you know, injury aside, you know, him him wanting to just be to 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 to, to win the game you know, with his arm or, or make make more of an impact with his arm was really a detriment to the team. And I think, you know, my my friend's completely right. I, I, I see that piece of it. But with all that said, I mean, I, I still think that we're, we're the University of Arizona and our football program. I mean, there's just it, it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like this is a situation where if you get a guy like this coming off the year he did last year, um, I'm fine with putting the eggs in that basket because, you know, at the time it felt like, well, you never know. I mean, the sky's the limit. You know, he was he, he was tied like best uh, top three odds for Heisman candidate yeah. entering and you know and, and entering the year so um i don't have a problem with it you know in hindsight uh, it might be easy for some people to say good lord that was awful and i can't believe that we let him you know dictate the hire basically i'm fine with the hire because i personally i i still like kevin sumlin i you know i, I think that we'll, we'll see some momentum once his guys get in there and everything and there obviously is still some good key pieces to work around moving forward um but you know i, I guess uh, Back to the question. I mean, I, I guess I just don't really see it. I I, I think that it, it, it was kind of a 
it was a fair question at the time asking him, you know, like, well, you just lost the Territorial Cup, monumental meltdown. Um, what are you going to do next year? You know, obviously kind of poking the bear a little bit because it's like, hey, Tate, you remember you said, you know, a while back, like you'd be able to graduate this year and transfer, grad transfer somewhere if you wanted to. Uh, it, it just felt like you, you caught him at a moment where he did the right thing. Like, I, you don't have to answer that. That's fine. Say next yeah. question. I, I have no problem with the way he handled that. And some people may say, you know, his attitude was poor there and whatever, but I personally don't have an issue with that one. Well, the, an- the answer to that question, I have zero problem with. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of times when you get a professional athlete right after the season ends, you ask them about their future. They're like, oh, I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just yeah. focused on this. So, no, I, I think the question was fair to ask, and I understand his answer. To that. Now, his non-answer to what happened, he was standing on an interception, you know, yeah. I mean, he... It just seemed like, I don't know, Tate was in some ways a victim of his success last season in that I think we all re- like none of us really realized that he wasn't a great quarterback last year. He showed flashes, but he yeah. was mostly a runner, a backyard football player, and that was great. It was a lot of fun to watch, but for him, and I think even the offense, they're like, no, we need you to become a passer, and, and he wanted to be a passer. It's just the conversion to that or the learning of that is just not easy. It looked like, and he showed flashes. I mean, the, the guy's arm talent is second to none, and he made some really, really good throws, but he's still yes. so young, still learning the position, and we kind of got to watch him grow with that, and now he has to be coachable. He has mm-hmm. to be willing to learn, put in the work, and be coachable to improve, and I'm not obviously privy to practices. We don't know exactly you know, what things, what it's like kind of in the meeting rooms and what he's doing, right. but just... He needed to be better than he was last year, and as a passer, I think he definitely—I think he definitely was better as a passer. But the running just wasn't there, and without the running, like, he's not good enough right now to get by and be a dominant quarterback just with his arm. He has yeah. to use his legs, and he didn't. So, the idea that he could want to leave, or the idea that people are going to be sour on him, like it's a shame because remember just the excitement over him from last season it was like, oh man, Arizona's got Khalil Tate; they have a chance. Like, yep. We have a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback here. This is going to be amazing. And then one season later, 12 games later, and I guess 11 for him, but 12 games later, it's like, yeah, well, if he leaves, he leaves. That's fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know how we got here. I don't think any of us expected this. Um, whether his next stop was the NFL in some capacity, whether it's a different program for one year, I don't know. But assuming he does leave, I wish him luck. Yeah. Yeah. But, he, he made it. He made it very exciting. Right. You yeah. know, fr- from that undefeated October we had last year. Uh, it, it, it's a bit sad if you actually look at the numbers from that point uh, until now as a program, Arizona is six and 11. If you could believe that. Yeah. With six Khalil and Tate being the guy, right? Like it's, For most of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but obviously, I mean, the, the, this story will continue to develop and I'm sure we'll have a lot more. I, I, I personally, if, if I had to, if I had to put some money on, I, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, I, I, I would think get uh, transferring. You would think? I would think so. Okay. From just right, what yeah. I read, I mean, it's not my own. It's just my thought. Like, it's out there, and it just didn't seem like he meshed well with the coaching staff, despite what, you know, maybe he thought he would and what he wanted to do. But just with Grant Cannell coming in and some other quarterbacks on the roster, it's I could see him saying, okay, my time here is done. Also, there's sure. a good chance. Who knows what kind of schools would take him in as a grand transfer? You know, like, which school? I'm trying to think of even in the Pac-12, if anyone's losing a quarterback. Like, what if Oregon? Oregon. What if Herbert left? I don't think he's yep. going to, but what if he did? You know, yep. put Khalil Tate up there. You don't think they would take Khalil Tate for a year? Washington State? You know, like, oh, yeah. I mean, all these programs, I mean, I don't know of all of them. And who knows if where he'd want to go. But I feel like there's enough high-quality programs that would happily take him for a season just because, yeah, it's Khalil Tate. That's the guy who a year ago was a Heisman Trophy candidate. 
You know, uh, we're going to be the coaching uh, staff that unlocks that, and we're going to win a lot with this guy. If he goes to UCLA, I, uh, that's all I have to say is that I oh, will God. not watch anything. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, for him to go home, right, to go back to L.A., um, I mean, they got to be in the Chip Kelly offense, so. ugh. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, obvi- obviously, DTR, Thomas Robinson, I mean, he, yeah. he, he's the guy in the wings. Um, you know, Spate, grad transfer, so he's done. Their season ended abruptly as well. Uh, it just, that that one to me would just, that, that, that one I think would annoy me the most because he would go over there and I'm sure it would work just as all the U of A fans expected to work down in Tucson. So yeah, I mean, if, if he's going right go, to grad transfer, then let him go, I guess, but. Yeah, uh, it'd no, be no, disappointing. It'd be a disappointing end to a very brief, like it's kind of. I'm trying to think of like the type of fire it is, like smoking hot for like a brief moment. You're like, wow, and then it just kind of fades away. Like that's what kind of like Trey Young. Yeah, Trey Young at Oklahoma in basketball. Yeah, that was kind of a uh, like, oh man, he just dominated like the month of November, and then maybe like a week into December, mm-hmm. and then it was like, wow, you, we kind of figured you out not that not, not that special. And I really hope that's not what it is for Quill Tate. I mean. Unless he leaves for UCLA, then we hope that's what it is, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. That, um, but anyway, um, Adam, one, one more quick question. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I, I, I know Bryant and Rob, and, you know, they, they, they did a good job in recapping all this and talking uh, more, more Arizona football because we still got to get to basketball here. Uh, believe it or not, there, there was some pretty exciting basketball that was played last week uh, for the Wildcats as well in the Maui Invitational. Uh, but w- last question, and, and, and keep it somewhat brief here, uh, Marcel Yates. What, what what do we do there? That that seems like a change to be made because he's been here for a few years and the defense at times was decent this year. Yeah. You know, but if you want to say that there's a certain talent level that's missing on offense, they need to get guys who fit Mazzoni's system or someone's system. Well, Marcel Yates has been here for a few years now. So the guys that are on his roster on the defense should be more to his liking. So, you know, it seems like he's an okay guy and I think he's been, he's called good games at times, but just not nearly enough to say he has to stay. So, you know, I'm curious to see what someone's going to do because, you know, Yates is a friend of his from way back, and Mazzoni's yep. the guy he hired. He's got two coordinators who right now a lot of fans would be in favor of getting rid of. And while I don't necessarily blame either one of them for what happened, you can certainly make a case for either and probably especially so for Yates. Fair enough. Yeah, I can't see how you hold on to him. I guess the the strongest thing for him going is that I I, I think that he has a real connection on the recruiting trail. I I, I think he does a decent job on the recruiting trail, um, but that shouldn't necessarily be a reason to keep him because that is a pretty small aspect, right? Like you're a defensive coordinator. uh, You've just completed your third year. And frankly, I don't know if you can say that the defense has improved. So not enough. uh, yeah, not, not not enough, and it seems like an easy way out for someone. You know, yes, even though you two have a history, it feels you know an easy way. I was like, hey, you know, man, like this, I gotta get my own guys in here. You know, like this, this, uh, you know, I I totally get it. I, I appreciate what you did for me last year, um, but uh, yeah, it's time to move on. And, and I hope you can understand that because numbers don't lie. I mean, look at that. You know, it's not that impressive. So. Mm-hmm. All right, Adam. Let, let's go ahead and uh, switch gears here, and let's let's jump over to the uh, to the basketball side of things here. Uh, before we do, Adam, I just want to plug real quick here: Sling TV, sponsor of the podcast. Uh, make make your way over to WildcatRadioAZ.com, um, and at the very top of the screen, if you click on the Sling TV 
ad at the top there. You see, as I'm looking at right now, 30 bucks a month for college football. Watch SEC football. Watch ACC football. Watch Pac-12 football. That'll obviously be changing now that we're entering bowl season. Um, But you can go there, follow that link to get your free trial, seven days free. Sling TV, 25 bucks a month for the basic, 10 bucks for the add-on of the sports package, and many other add-ons. Again, wildcatradioaz.com. Look for the ad at the top of the screen. Follow those clicks to your seven-day free trial. Adam, let, let's basketball. All right, so last week, Maui Invitational. Let, let's, let's, let's finally sprinkle in some good news here, okay? I guess, you know, that first game we had uh, last <laughs> Monday, last, last Monday against Iowa State, I, you know, I think that... Um, well, it was interesting for a bit and a bit depressing, and then guns ablaze, and they just come right back, and they ride the coattails of one Justin Coleman. Um, walk me through this game, I guess. Let, let's start here. So Justin Coleman, Chase Jeter, uh, Ryan Luther. Let, let, let's, let, let's, go with the, let, let's go with the upperclassmen here. How did you feel about all of them in that, in that uh, Iowa State performance? In that game? Well, I think, I mean, it only goes for the entire few games in, uh, in Hawaii, but Justin Coleman, wow. You know, yeah. I remember we were watching, we had our little text thread going, and it's like Arizona needed someone to step up and take charge. Like, they had a lot of these guys, and maybe it's still the youth, maybe it's because the way they've set it up this season, but there's no alpha dog on this team, it seems like, where, you know, last year you need a bucket, better or worse, Trier's going to take the ball and take the shot. <laughs> you know, and to be fair to his credit, he made a lot of them. Yep. But you needed that guy. You needed someone in a close game to say, okay, I'm going to take this shot, you know, forget about it. And it helps when they make them, but Coleman was that guy in that game. You know, yep. Brandon Williams couldn't make a shot to save his life. Brandon Randolph was struggling from the field. Jeter only took seven shots. Luther only took eight. You know, you needed someone just to kind of have that bulldog mentality to say, okay, I get, you know, that's, I'm going to be the guy who does this. And for Coleman to step up the way he did, making the three-pointers, where I know the early going, some of the first couple of games that were in Tucson, people kind of weren't, does he have what it takes to play at this level be Arizona's point guard? Or is he just another mm-hmm. Parker Jackson Cartwright? And I mean, in the Iowa State game and even the two games that followed it, he showed that he absolutely can play at this level, which to me was absolutely one of the easily the biggest positive to come out of that those few games. But especially, yeah, yeah Iowa State in the win. Yeah, yeah, especially. I mean, he, he got so hot down the stretch. And I mean, without him catching fire like that and him carrying that over into the into the Gonzaga game, which we'll touch on here momentarily, um, you know, we, we very easily would have. Well, we, we very easily could have lost that Iowa State game, right? So at, at halftime, it was uh, 36-27 Iowa State, uh, and then we come out and, and really not, not even probably around, I don't know, a few minutes into the, into the second half. Uh, that, that, that's when things you felt really started changing, right? Mm-hmm. I think he scored like something like nine straight points. Uh, we end up outscoring Iowa State four, uh, 44-30 in the second half to win by five. Um, it was a very exciting game and, you know, it, it provided hope. Uh, there wasn't much hope. I, I feel quite frankly, going into that Gonzaga game, uh, they gave us reason to feel good about ourselves though. Right. I mean, if, if, if you actually look at the end of that Iowa state game, that for second half, of the Iowa state game, first half of that Gonzaga game, I mean, that is, that, that's fantastic. Like if we can piece that into one game, that that's going to be a pretty, I, I definitely like what I saw there. Ran through the box score. Uh, Ryan Luther, all, all of our starters, Luther, Jeter, Coleman, Randolph, and Williams, all of them in double digits. Uh, Ryan Luther finished with 12 points, eight rebounds, solid night for him. And uh, something that kind of carried into the next game, too. Looks like he did something to his left left pinky. 
that was taped and it looked almost like in that Gonzaga game uh, that that uh, kind of held him back from shooting a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, more on that momentarily, though. But so right. Chase Jeter, 10, 10 points, 12 rebounds, double double there. Touched on Justin Coleman, uh, Brandon Williams, uh, the Brandons, right? Combined for 25 points, five rebounds, six assists. Uh, and all those assists belong to Brandon Williams. There was some crazy stat I saw. Uh, after after this Iowa State game, he had recorded twenty one turnover. Right, I mean, he he has just been. It, it was it, it was remarkable. I mean, he's just a fantastic ball handler. Um, but Adam, this was though the fourth straight game where we saw his shooting. Okay, I mean, he's great at getting to the line. We've touched on that. Uh, Luis Mendoza, right? We get it. Looks pretty getting there, but then he gets to the line. He can't finish at the rim. It seems right now. I mean, I know he's still adjusting to this level. Um, goes nine of 10 from the charity stripe, nine of his 14 points from the free throw line hits one three pointer, uh, another field goal, another two point field goal from there. You know, I, it's his ball handling is so good, right? That it's like, there's no reason, there's no reason to panic. And obviously you, 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 you see the talent. Um, and then you also, I guess, look at the six through 10 on the bench and you think, mm-hmm. well, who would you give minutes to, which we'll get to that in a sec too. But, um, is it, is it a bit concerning though now? I mean, especially having completed the tournament, you, you kind of saw that, um, you know, the Gonzaga game, the Auburn game, his shooting just isn't quite there yet, but he does so many other things well. Is is, is this a point of concern? I mean, to the extent that I think Arizona's going to be a much better team if Brandon Williams starts making shots at a more consistent rate, then yes, it is. Because, you know, we know and we learned, and granted, this tournament, the whole thing, like, it was not set up well for Arizona to find much success. At least not this Arizona team at this point in the season, but... You know, we saw they don't have much of a bench right now. There's not a lot of guys who can score the basketball consistently. You know, Chase Jeter, as much as I like him, he's not an offensive guy. Coleman, I like a lot. He proved that he can be that guy, but he's still a smaller point guard. You can't expect it all the time. And Brandon Randolph started to play better as the tournament wore on. But if Brandon Williams can be the scorer that we know he can be, if he can finish at there, if he can make those three-pointers, then that changes the entire dynamic for this offense. So... You know, to that extent, like I think he'll get there. You can see that he'll be good, and I believe he'll get there soon enough. But until he does, this team's not going to be anywhere close to its full potential. So, yeah, in that regard, it is a concern for me. Fair enough. Adam, let's shift over to the bench then. All right, so Ira Lee, Alex Barcelo, Emmanuel Acott, Dylan Smith, uh, 13 minutes, 6 minutes, 9 minutes, 12 minutes for Dylan Smith. Um, you know, there, there's clearly a rotation there. I mean, I think we, we all know, I mean, who the guys are off the bench that we expect. Um, it just a continued theme, and unfortunately it carried over from last year. I don't trust our bench, and there's really not much to be excited about on that bench. Uh, you know, outside that starting five, the starting five has proven uh, they are a, they're, they're capable, they're exciting. I mean, competent, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. it's all, all it's all there. Um, that bench scares me, and uh, that 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 to me is going to be the biggest issue moving forward. Yeah, I mean, if we want to take a big picture approach now, since we talked about the one game that was fun and the other two that, you know, I guess a half a game, each of those were okay. But yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, we saw it last year. It was supposed to be a strength, and it wasn't. Only this time, Arizona's starters aren't as dominant as they were last year. You mm-hmm. know, so it's like if you look at that starting lineup of the you know Brandon Williams, Brandon Randolph, Coleman, Jeter, and Luther, it's not bad. You have decent size, you have some good scoring punch, some decent defense, but 
Yeah, after that, I mean, the, you have guys who can have certain roles. Ira Lee is an energy guy, can rebound the basketball, turn the ball over, and foul a lot. You know, Barcelo just looks like there's no point in him being out there but just to take up space for a few minutes a game. And it's a mm-hmm. shame because I like the way he, I like he plays hard. You know, he has a good-looking shot, just doesn't go win. But, yeah, Acott has been a colossal disappointment, I think. He just looks like yeah. he's lost out there. Like, you see that, oh, yeah, I, could, I, I see a world. He's a really good defender and a good playmaker and a mismatch, but just he's not any of those things right now. And, of course, Dylan Smith's shot just has abandoned him. So mm-hmm. unless Dutrieve comes in and starts getting more minutes, I know Miller alluded to trying to find more court time for him. Right now, I just, yeah, this bench is absolutely a weakness, and the starting lineup is not good enough to just dominate teams to make up for it like it was last year. There's no DeAndre Ayton. There's no Alonzo Trier on this team. There's no Dusan Ristic even. Yeah, so they're going to need their bench, and right now that bench has provided them very little. Irily is the most playable player I, I think that you have on the bench right now and it, I, I don't even know necessarily it's because that he offers the most I think it's because we're limited in size and yeah. that forces him in the game uh, you know yes I 100% agree with you Emmanuel Acott um, has just been disappointing I mean he just doesn't that 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 leap from a freshman into sophomore year is just not there and you know I, I've heard somebody comp him to uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson Rondé Hollis Jefferson was uh, four times the player Emmanuel Acott is right now, right? I mean, there's no, there's no comparison at all in my mind. Uh, I can understand just, you know, with, with kind of that, uh, that, that, that gritty defensive mind, um, you know, if, 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 if you need a stop, he's our best defender, probably throw him on, throw, throw him on the ball. But um, I, I don't like what I see offensively. Uh, Dylan Smith, Dylan Smith's another one. I, I don't know. I don't get it. I was concerned coming into the year too. You know, uh, those first couple games you saw, not, you just heard great things. Just nothing but praise from Sean Miller about Dylan Smith and how, how much of a leap he's taken this year. And, you know, I, I don't see it. I mean, if anything, I would actually even maybe argue he's regressed some, he, he is just so non-existent on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, but then defensively, I mean, he's pretty solid. So, I mean, I can see that. And, you know, just from, from a sheer numbers game, right? Like somebody's got to get out there and give our starters a break. So uh, I totally get that. Um, Adam, let, let, let's go ahead and hop into the Gonzaga game because you brought up the Devonair Dutrieve bit. Um, so for, for those of you, I, I, I hope everybody watched this and I wouldn't be shocked and I won't blame you if you shut it off before it ended. Uh, but, but, the, <laughs> but, but, but this, this first half of the Gonzaga game uh, against number three Gonzaga, Arizona is up 45-37. As a matter of fact, going into the second half, those first couple minutes, Arizona got up as much as 50 37. Now, of course, a controversial thing, or I guess it may not be controversial because you can't sit there and pound your hands like a little baby and expect not to get teed up. But Chase Jeter gets ejected, pulls, uh, picks up his fourth foul, starts arguing with the ref while he's sitting on the ground, I guess, yells at him, you know, very animated, um, gets teed up. He's gone from there. It was just a bloodbath. We were so in need of buckets at that point. Justin Coleman did the best that he could, the best that he absolutely could. 28 points. uh, All eight free throws were converted. He was 6 of 9 from 3, 7 of 12 overall from the field. In his 31 minutes, he had 28 points. Yes, Brandon Randolph also added on 19 points, but uh, I I know, too, like just our front court was so depleted after Chase Jeter left. If you need a spark, and I don't even know if Devonair Dutrieve can do it. You know, he, he's had a flash here, a flash there in like the limited, call it 20 minutes that he's played this year. You know, you, you can see that. I mean, he, he, he may have, he, he may be pretty potent offensively. Um, did it 
Did it bother you that when we were in dire need of a bucket down the stretch, it, it, it almost looked like it wasn't even considered for Devin Ayer to go in? I mean, I don't think he's the saving grace right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's a reason he's not getting the minutes, right? But even then, more than the bucket, I think Arizona needed to stop. You know, the Cats scored 74 total points. Now, I know 45 of those are in the first half, but 74 should be enough. They gave up 91. Arizona gave up 54 points in the second half of that game. So, yeah, it'd be nice to have more scoring punch, I guess. But that was a game where just once Gonzaga started making shots, it totally turned. And, you know, people pointed to the Chase Jeter getting ejected thing. And by then, the game had already taken its turn. You know, I think by the time that happened, it just kind of solidified, yep, Arizona's not going to win this game. But I imagine after this weekend, especially as the bench continues to struggle, that if Miller doesn't go to Dutrieve at times just to see if he can offer something, then there's something seriously wrong there with Dutrieve. You know, but like I just right now, I, did, I didn't look at him and say, why isn't he playing? I know like a lot of people are because they see him as some guy who might, I don't know. What do we think he's going to bring them right now? You know, maybe a couple buckets, a couple turns, does he play defense? So, you know, he's apparently more raw than people want him to be. And Miller sees him every day in practice at coaching staff. So if he's not on the floor, there's a reason. But just in that game against Gonzaga, I mean, they're now the number one team in the country. They beat Duke the next day. So yep. the fact that Arizona was up, and yeah, it had a lot to do with Gonzaga missing shots. I know that. I watched the game. But Arizona played a really good basketball team, right now the number one team in the country, and had them was you know up comfortably in the first half and even early into the second. So, you know, you could look and say, oh, Duchief, he wouldn't have been the answer. They don't win if he plays. But I think maybe they're going to get to a point, and they might have gone there now, where Miller's going to be more inclined to give him a look here and there just to see if he can add something. Because, yeah, with the way the bench is playing, whether it's defense, offense, like you're not getting anything from them. Yeah. So you have to try to do something different. That's 100% my, my argument. If you look at everybody else, why? And who knows? I mean, right? Like, what if he does get hot, right? I mean, there, there's a hot hand there. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the other four bench players, right, six through nine that we've seen so far are not impressive offensively. No. And so if, if you're in need of buckets, I mean, and you know that this guy has offensive ability, but you're concerned about his his, his lack of defense, well, I don't know. You know, I, I, you got to score to win, right? I mean, I, I understand the whole idea, too, is like, well, okay, yeah, if you score, but then on the other end of the floor, you give up a bucket. That's a wash. Um, the way I look at it is, well, if you can't score and then you do give a bucket on the other end, well, now you're in the hole, too, right? Yeah. So, I mean, something's got to give here, especially with this, with this rotation with the next four guys up because, I mean, it, again, it's just not very impressive right now. Obviously, that's not to say that that's the end-all, be-all. Um, I'm with you 100%. When Chase Jeter got fouled out, uh, and drew that technical to, 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 to be ejected from the game, um, you know, our, our, that 13-point that lead had already dwindled to just yeah. a measly one point. I mean, it was 53-52 at that point. Um, but I will say, in a way, I mean, obviously, yeah, there's no two ways about this. Obviously, I will take an upset over the number three team in the country, especially if that number three team's Gonzaga, which it was, because I cannot stand Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. But in this case, um, I, I, I think, in a way, if you're looking for a silver lining, it's never good to blow a 13-point lead. I get it. Um, but if you're looking for a silver lining, I, I think that it did prove the value of Chase Jeter to the to the team. Because going into the season, you know, I was a little, uh, I was a little on the fence. Like I, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, everyone's very familiar with his flame out at, at Duke. Uh, how you know one of the one of the top recruits coming out of high school goes to Duke and then just for two years doesn't really do much, right? Comes in last year, practices with the team that we had last year. So you know, you know, he was going up daily against 
Dusan and Aiden, you know, like he's getting the practice in the system, going up against solid talent. Looks great. Uh, those first few games, I was even kind of on the fence. But, uh, you know, after watching him in the Maui Invitational, I, I do feel a lot better about Jeter as an asset to this team. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, it just kind of reminds me of Ryan Anderson from a few years back where you don't want to need him as much as you do because he's not that type of player. But yeah. he's a good player, a consistent player, someone who you can rely on to do what they're going to do, even if what they do isn't going to carry you to a win. So, no, nah, I mean, I don't know I don't know if we're going to talk a ton about the Auburn game, you know, the next one, because it was kind of just like, you know, close first half, got blown out in the second half. What you but, expect, yeah. But Jeter was pretty good there, too. So I, just mm-hmm. this entire weekend, I you started to see the roles define themselves like we see justin coleman can be the main guy now he's a distributor he's not supposed to be the scorer but we know that we can like you can rely on justin coleman and you're starting to see you can rely on chase cheater you know what you're going to get from these guys day in you know night in night out day in day out and in coleman's case a guy who can even carry you at times offensively but you need more you know you need brandon randolph to play like he did against auburn and I know some of his buckets were late the game was already over but that was big for him to do that because he'd been struggling you know, it'd yeah. be nice to see Ryan Luther have a bigger impact offensively. But again, if he's not getting the ball in spots to shoot, if he's only taking three shots a game, he's not going to do much. But just, you know, what is Emmanuel Acott's role right now? He's not good at anything. If you say, ask what's, what does he bring to the team, you have no answer. You know, mm-hmm. what does Dylan Smith bring to the team? No answer. You know, Barcelo right now, no answer. So it's, their roles are being defined. But I think what we saw there is Arizona's plenty talented enough in the starting line to hang for the teams for a little while. They're not yep. nearly good enough or deep enough to beat these really good teams right now. And I kind of, I used to always tell people that the really good Arizona teams of the last few years, teams, you know, the really good ones, teams would hang with them for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Sometimes it'd be a close game and the Wildcats would pull away because they're just too talented and too good for these lesser teams to keep up. Right now, Arizona is that lesser team. Yeah. You know, they've yeah. got talent. They're good enough to hang with a lot of these bigger teams, these big boys, but just as the game goes on, when it's foul trouble or tired legs or whatever, they just don't have the talent and the depth to keep up. So it doesn't make the Wildcats a bad team, but it obviously we saw in Maui, and of course back-to-back games never helps a team with the depth that they have, but we just I think we're starting to get a better idea of who Arizona is in the hopes that, okay, here's where you are, now what can you get to over the next few months? Yeah, totally. And to circle back to the Ryan Luther thing, I I allude to this in the Iowa State game. You know, he had a very strong performance in that Iowa State game. Um, He did something to his finger. I I don't know exactly what. And it was very clear. I mean, those next two games, uh, those next two games he played. So in in the Gonzaga game, he played 30 minutes, shot the ball twice. He rebounded eight times. So Mm -hmm. that's that's great. But shot the ball twice did not get on the board in that statistic uh, with Auburn. He played 22 minutes, shot the ball three times again, did not score, got only three rebounds in that one. So, so you're talking about 52 minutes of action and he shot the ball five times versus in that first game against Iowa state. Now, of course, granted uh, a higher level of competition, you give it that too, right? I mean, Gonzaga and, and Auburn much higher level of competition than, than Iowa state. But in that Iowa state game, I mean, he, played 29 minutes and you know only shot eight times fine but i mean it it was at least efficient he was four of eight from the field hit two big threes in that game uh, and was drawn fouls down low too i mean he got to the cherry stripe only only at one time but um you know it it just seemed like he was a lot more active right Mm -hmm. drew no fouls in those next two games it's really all she wrote um continuing also with the theme of brandon williams inability uh, of, of of to finish i guess right just just 
drop the bucket uh, in in that uh, in 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 the Gonzaga game. Brandon Williams, thirty four minutes, three of ten from the field, fifteen points, eight of nine from the charity stripe. Auburn, thirty minutes, two of seven, one of five from three, which is a bit concerning, and even more concerning in the Auburn game. He did not get to the free throw line. So and five uh, you know, turnovers. Yeah, so you know he came back down to earth a little bit there, and I guess that's expected, right? I mean, you certainly can't expect, especially a true freshman, uh, not named, uh, I guess you, know, you could say like John Wall or somebody. You know, uh, you can't expect them to continue a twenty to one assist to turnover no. ratio. I, I get that. So I mean, yeah, he came back down to earth a little bit. The, the uh, frankly, the athleticism of Auburn really kind of pokes some holes in, into what we have going on, and that could be an issue going forward. But yep. again, you're, you're talking about two top ten teams. Um, so I, you can't get too bad out of shape, honestly, in a way it was nice to see the Iowa state, excuse me, the Iowa state game, uh, which is, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be a bubble team. They, they even might be a surefire in, in the tournament. So it was nice to see that they're not at full strength though, right? They were missing right. a couple key pieces. It's still a nice win. You're looking for wins, uh, Gonzaga and Auburn. We know where we stand now, right? You know, competitive for our first half. That's great into the second half a little bit got things to work on in other words right there there's just there's just a lot there brandon randolph did well uh the bench i mean it was really the the, the it was basically the same story for all three games the starters did well ryan luther got hurt those last two games didn't do hot uh and then the bench was just abysmal i, I don't even know what to say at the bench so um that's i would say in a nutshell would you agree yeah i mean for the most part i think you know remember your feeling after the battle for atlantis last year yeah. <laughs> you know, when Arizona got swept by some teams, I mean, Purdue was good at the time, but the other teams weren't particularly great, and the cash just got stomped. And that was a team that we had such high expectations for. I forget what they were ranked going to that tournament, like number two, number three yeah. in the country at that yeah, time. Yeah, I think it was two. Mm-hmm. So you felt like, wow, this is a really talented team, but what the hell was that? Whereas this time, they won a game. They lost the two, I guess, you, I don't want to say close, because the final scores weren't close, but obviously we know it how the game, the game flow was closer than the final scores indicated. And I don't feel like this is a better team than last year's, but I feel better about this team than I did about last year's team at this time. And it's, you know, this is a flawed team. Like, even against Auburn, Brandon Williams was probably tired to some degree. He played 30 minutes that game. Coleman played 34. You need more than two minutes from Alex Barcelo in a game like that in that kind of setting. And, you know, on the plus side, this team played hard. And they did compete yep. with some of the best teams in the country. On the downside is that, or on the negative side, is that, they showed that they don't have enough really good players or guys that they can rely on to compete with those teams. So, you know, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's still early. They've only played six games, and they lost to two top ten teams. So there's no real shame in that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a moral victory that they competed. But if you're looking at this team and you said, okay, they're not a perfect team, they're not a dominant team, we just want to see one that plays hard and can maybe get better. I mean, even just looking at the Auburn box score, Brandon Williams is better than he played in that game. You know, Brandon Randolph started to play more. Ryan Luther is better than zero points and three rebounds and an assist. So we know they can be better than they were in that game. But yeah, unless the bench, unless Dutrieve comes in and starts playing well or Barcelo finds his shot or Acott discovers some semblance of basketball playing ability over the next little bit, then this team's ceiling is not going to be nearly as high as we're used to. doesn't mean their floor is going to be low. It just means that this team isn't what we want it to be. Of course, the recruiting ranks have gone well, so it looks like it's going to get better starting in next year. But I think for this year's team, and maybe this is kind of the sign of where this basketball program is for this season, is that... I don't think any of us are really all that upset that they lost those games because no one expected them to win them. So it's just kind of like, yeah, just play hard, compete, 
and we'll see what happens this season, which is not the right. great attitude to have when you're like, I'm used to competing for championships, but it's probably the yeah. right perspective to have for this team because we saw in Maui their strengths, what could be their strengths, as well as every single one of this team's weaknesses, and there are a few. It's a bit of a wild card, but it's exactly what we expected going in. I mean, we knew that this was um, this was not going to be the best team, but we also knew it wasn't going to be the worst, right? We, we knew that um, it, it, it had the potential to make the tournament. Obviously, we're hopeful that to be the case. Um, more to come, right? So that more to come all starts with Georgia Southern uh, this upcoming Thursday. Uh, they'll, they'll be back in Tucson, right in front in front of the in front of the crazy crowd down there in McHale. So that's mm-hmm. good. Uh, Georgia Georgia Southern Eagles uh, currently sitting at five and zero as we are recording this uh, recording this on Monday, November twenty sixth. They actually play East Tennessee State tomorrow uh, to have a chance to improve their record to six and zero. So that'd be kind of cool if they did. We could knock off an unbeaten, huh? Take think that, of that. that strength of schedule. Yeah. That's right. That's good. Uh, and then after that, um, Arizona will travel to Yukon on Sunday. Tip off, and that will be a little early for us, 11 a.m. Uh, that one will be on ESPN2, which would be pretty cool. Um, you know, Yukon, you know, obviously it's a household name, so you, you kind of like to see where you stack up uh with 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 another i don't even know if they're necessarily like a, a big a big time program anymore i know you know obviously kemba walker and um oh, who's the other guy going back shabazz a little bit when they, shabazz napier you know th- those days right when they mm-hmm. when they won the tournament uh but both times yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that was great yeah but uh so uh yukon as it stands today currently sits at five and one so that's um they will play University of uh, Monroe of Louisville, uh, excuse me, of Louisville, of Louisiana tomorrow. So Georgia, Georgia State, or excuse me, Georgia Southern and UConn will both have one more game uh, before we play them. So, you know, UConn on the road, still a formidable opponent, right? So mm-hmm. uh, just, just another gauge on where we stand. So, Adam, this time next week, hopefully we'll be able to come back and say, hey, you know, U of A sitting in a nice 6-2 and two record with uh, – yeah, I think that UConn win could end up being something kind of nice too. I mean, if, if they're going to have a decent year, you know, it, they're they're in the American Conference, right? So it's not a Power Five group anymore, but they are still one of those uh, group of five, one of the higher end group of fives, if you will. Could be a nice could could be a nice uh, resume builder when the time comes, late February, early March. So yeah, we'll well, certainly keep an eye on that. And Arizona, I don't think anyone believes the Pac-12 is going to be particularly good this season. And Arizona's not going to win the Pac-12, I don't think. And they're not going to have you know, 25, 26 wins to get them into the tournament. So these resume building type wins are going to be huge. You know, playing yep. good teams like you want teams like UConn to be pretty good this year. You want Iowa State to have a really good season because Arizona's going to need that kind of help when the time comes, probably. And you know, I think that's just where we're at with Arizona basketball this season at this exact moment is in this situation of just, okay, we'll see what they are. You know, just try to get better and try to play harder and improve. And, you know, they're not a terrible roster. It's just not a dominant one. And we've seen, I mean, we've seen them play better teams, you know, bigger teams, more athletic teams, deeper teams. And Arizona's just not that. They're going to have games where they look great. The shots fall yeah. Williams, Randolph, Dylan Smith's making threes, and Arizona just rolls somebody. You know, they're going to have mm-hmm. that ability. It's going to happen at times, but they don't have a DeAndre Ayton to grab up every rebound and get you easy buckets down low when you need them. You don't have an Alonzo True who we're seeing in the NBA can get buckets when he needs them. You know, it's a different type yeah. of Arizona team, and it's kind of the one everyone wanted after last year. So, oh, we don't care about five stars. <laughs> just get guys who play hard. 
Well, I think grass is always greener, right? Like I think you have that. And that makes this team an easy one to root for, assuming that they don't just fold this year, but it's just, they are very much a work in progress, a flawed work in progress. And, you know, Miller teams tend to get better as the year goes on, but this team has a long ways to go. If we're going to look at them and say, that's a team that could compete for the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, because right now they're competing just to even make it to the tournament. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 going to be very important to finish out this non-conference strong just because, you know, B- Baylor is another name uh, that sticks out in the non-conference before you get into a pretty watered down Pac-12 schedule. So, yeah, um, yeah no, if, if every one of these counts, I mean, these are all very important, right? You want to build the resume the best you can, obviously. So, so yeah, Adam, I would say, you know, this time next week, hopefully we're sitting at six and two, uh, officially closed the book on football season in a very depressing fashion. Uh, but you know, such is life. It happens, I guess. Yeah, so, it does. Yeah. And, you know, I'd like to talk about some wins again. So hopefully basketball can yeah. provide that outside of just the recruiting trail, which, you know, is it the number one class in the country now set up for 2019? Like, I'll take that. That's <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. So let's and, finish and on a high note. Yes. Yes, a, a, a very another piece, uh, important piece of information on the basketball recruiting trail. That is uh, Zeke Naji reports for uh, commits four star guy that officially elevates U of A's recruiting class uh, to number one in the country. Of course, after Nico Mannion, Josh Green and Christian Coloco have already have already committed and signed at that. Right. So, I mean, that's that, that's pretty important. And Terry Adam, Armstrong I, as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yes, excuse me. Terry Armstrong, another four-star guy, has recruited uh, another committed, excuse me, as well. Adam, I, you know, and, and I really don't want to be the Debbie Downer here. Uh, real quick, we'll end on this. Should we get really excited about these the, the, these commitments, the, these signings, right? Like, it seems official, but there's obviously a lot that's pending come, uh, come, come April. Well, I think the NLIs, I think the National Letter of Intents, I mean, those aren't always the easiest to get out of. But if anything, I, I think you get excited because it's not like Arizona being in the news for bad reasons is new. You know, there, yeah. that's been, it's been a year, more than a year since that mm-hmm. all went down. So there's a lot of information out there. And, and just as we said, like, Dutrieve was the first guy to say, hey, it's okay to go to Arizona again. You know, and then Brandon yeah. has followed in some of his grad transfers and stuff. I think if Nico Mann, Josh Green, Coloco... Uh, the guy, I'm going to let you pronounce his name because I can't figure it out myself. So, <laughs> and, Yeah, and, and I hope I'm doing that properly. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> like, if these guys are saying, yeah, we're going to sign with Arizona, like these guys could go anywhere in the country. There are mm-hmm. other top-flight schools. and So whatever Arizona is telling them on the recruiting trail, they're believing. They're trusting that, yeah, it's okay. That whatever's mm-hmm. going to happen in April is not going to affect Miller. It's not going to affect the program. So, you know, obviously something could happen. Something could come out. Mark Schleybach could come up with another article out of nowhere, and yeah. all of a sudden things fall apart. But you know, barring that, I, I have to think that pretty much any bit of information that's going to come out is probably already out there. And yeah. with that in mind, if the players are comfortable coming to Arizona with all that, coming to Miller in Arizona with all that hanging over the program, then maybe there's not a lot to worry about over the next few months with that. But as I say that, something will probably come up because Arizona can't have nice things. So when it does happen, I'm sorry, I jinxed it. I will edit this piece out. So we got we <laughs> we got about 48 hours. So, so if it's going to happen, please happen within the next 48 hours. <laughs> Drag this on any longer, but pretty much. Uh, awesome, Adam. All right. Well, hey, by the way, yeah, I hope I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Which, uh, yeah, outside of about 10 minutes worth of football on a Saturday, I had a great weekend. Yeah. 
Gosh, and it was like 10 minutes, too, where it all just came crashing down. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it's in the past, right? So moving forward. Eyes forward. Basketball season. Basketball season. I look forward to uh, March Madness anyway, right? No matter what. It, it'll be bracket time before we know it. But, oh, uh, yeah. Yep. So, uh, so, yep. Two more games, right? Judge, uh, Georgia Southern. UConn next week, and then we'll record again. So hopefully a nice 6-2 and two record. Uh, until then, bear down.